Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just approach your word this morning thanking you that through your spirit, we have the ability to understand it, to embrace it, and to apply it. I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning through your wonderful word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are beginning our study of the 12th chapter of Romans as we continue our study of the book of Romans. And as we begin chapter 12, there is a change of topic. In Romans 1 through 11, you get the gospel. Paul has pointed out the depravity of man, the desperate need for Christ. And then he tells us how one will receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the end of chapter 11, after he goes through that in detail in the 11 chapters, he ends in a doxology or a word of praise. And if you look at verse 33 through 35 of 11, which I've already covered, but it's appropriate to read again this morning, he wrote, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments in his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. As he completes chapter 11 with that word of praise, he then has this change of topic. Stott, in his commentary on Romans, describes it as this. Paul moves from exposition to exhortation, from the gospel to everyday discipleship. This leads us to our focal passage this morning where he begins to point out to us how to live the Christian life. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time in verses 1 through 2. It's two verses that I think you'll find familiar. But turn with me in your Bibles to the 12th chapter of Romans as we start our focal passage this morning where Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? The reason why we will spend quite a bit of time in these verses is that in a lot of the Christian community, these verses are 
in contrast to the modern view. Because unfortunately, we live in a time where the image of Jesus Christ is one of enablement. And what I mean by that is the modern view of salvation is portrayed as your license to sin without consequence. It's say a few words or go through a ceremony. And then you can sin without suffering the consequences of God. But that's not his truth. And if you think about this progression, as we move from chapters 1 through 11, where Paul outlines the gospel of Jesus Christ, his very next words are 1 through 2 of chapter 12, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. In other words, this idea of cheap grace doesn't exist in the Bible. We're called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so as we go through these verses... My goal is, is that by the time we finished one through two, that you have a clear understanding of what Paul is communicating to the church of Rome. And as we go through, let me first say that there is a specific group of people that he is addressing as we start looking at these verses in more detail. Who is Paul referring to? He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, I think it's important that we talk about this word brethren, because it's become part of our slang language today, isn't it? Or hasn't it? Where we call one another brother. I was at a store the other day. Guy gave me change, called me brother. But here in this context... The word brethren has a specific meaning that unfortunately the church over the last numerous decades has lost. So let's look at the scriptural basis for why Paul is writing in addressing his readers as brothers. And if we were writing in the modern context, we would say brothers and sisters. But let's look at why it is written as brothers. Because there's a scriptural basis for it. And it's found in the words of Christ. Let's first go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And as we look at the words in Mark chapter 3 of the words of Jesus, I want to point out that as Christ mentions brotherhood, it is mentioned in the context of obedience. Mark 3, verse 31, it says, Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him. And they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. In verse 33, we see Jesus' response. He said, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him. And he said, here 
are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. In other words, what Christ is telling the group is, is that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a special relationship as believers come together. We're brothers and sisters. And that brother and sister isn't like any other social organization in the world. I've shared this before in my business career over the years. At at times I've been in Rotary Clubs. At times I've been in Lions Club. And if you think about fraternal organizations, everybody wears a t-shirt, a vest, or a goofy hat, right? And the commonality of that group is the t-shirt, the vest, or the goofy hat. Everybody may have a completely different worldview in that room. Yeah, and they do some good things in the community. I'm, I'm not belittling that. But the church is different. As we come together and as we worship together, he says you are bound together in a spiritual relationship based upon your obedience. Based upon your obedience. And I think that it's very important that we recognize that the unity of fellowship that we have, the unity of fellowship, isn't based upon the fact that we're all of the same age, that we're maybe perhaps in the same socioeconomic group, that we live in the same town. You can go on and on. The reason why we have a fellowship is that we all have doctrinal unity in the belief of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've been in churches that don't have that. And that's why you have to guard against it. Is that you will have rich fellowship if people are on the same page in how they view Jesus Christ and what God has called us to do. And there's blessings in that. If you want to take a look at those blessings, turn to the 10th chapter of Mark. And let me put some context in this. In the 10th chapter of Mark, Jesus has just finished his address to the rich young ruler. And if you remember what Christ told the rich young ruler, he said, you got to leave. You got to give up everything and follow me. And so after he addresses the rich young ruler with that, in verse 28, this causes Peter to look at Christ and he says this, He says, see, we have left all and followed you. Look at Christ's response in verse 29. Christ said, assuredly, I say to you, that there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospel, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and childrens and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Christ, as he calls us to the gospel and to salvation, says that we have to give up and follow him. And 
In times, that means that you will come at conflict with family members who do not believe. In fact, at this point, we are at an epidemic. We are at an epidemic of families being at odds with one another as family members will end up denying the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Christ is telling Peter is is that if you give up and you follow him and you suffer loss, you suffer loss, that in this world you will gain. Now we could turn this into a health and wealth sermon and that would be completely out of context. But what he's telling us is, is that there will still be joy in following him. And that is found in the common belief that you find in your church family. And I know we've experienced that. That's why fellowship is so important. As you take your stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and as you stand on His truth, you may come at odds with your family, but what you come at odds with with your blood family, you end up receiving a blessing through your fellowship with your church family. That's why it's important that you're here. Because as you come together and as you fellowship with one another and as you worship together, you find joy in the relationship that you have as being brothers and sisters in Christ. As I celebrate my 25th year of pastoring this church, I will tell you that I have had rich, deep relationships with my fellow church members not based upon the fact that we had commonality of experience, but we have commonality of belief. And in that commonality of belief, there's joy. As I was out last Sunday, you miss your church family. You miss being around one another. That's why in Hebrews it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because there's joy here. Joy in Christ. And and I will tell you that the more you participate in the things that we offer here, whether it's Bible study or it's Wednesday night, the more you participate, I'm going to guarantee you one thing, the more joy you're going to have. It's true. Because it's scriptural. Kathy told me of a recent survey. Only one out of four church members participate in this country in Bible study. That's sad. That's sad. And let me tell you what happens because I've experienced it. If you don't participate in the other things that we have, and I'll tell you, I'm glad you're here for worship. But what I've experienced is, is over the years, people will say, who's that person? What's their name? How can you be an effective brother or sister in Christ if you do not know the names of the people that you are sitting in the congregation with, worshiping together with one another? You can't. You can't. But just as we're commanded to bear one another's burdens, as we sit together and as we bear one another's burdens... We fulfill the law of Christ and we deepen that relationship that we have 
as brothers and sisters. There is obedience in the spiritual familial relationship that we have based upon Christ as well as blessing. And that blessing comes through love. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Peter wrote this. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted. I'll never forget, I had a dear friend that his wife was suffering through terminal breast cancer. And he was very talented in anything that he wanted to do around the house. Just one of those guys. He'd always done his own work, never had people really help him. And he came to a saving knowledge of Christ as his wife first started going through breast cancer. And then it just steadily, unfortunately, got worse. And they were going back and forth to chemo. Their, their life was consumed with doctor's appointment. And one day he told me he was sitting there in his living room and he looked up and a car pulled up. And out of the car jumped one of his church members and he went over there and he got on his lawnmower and he started mowing his yard. And my friend went out and said, no, 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 I'm going to get to that. He said, no, you're not. He said, you're going to go in the house and take care of your wife. I'll take care of this. It's love. It's love. When we know one another and that love is based upon obedience, when we know one another and we fellowship with one another, we then bear one another's burdens as we fulfill the law of Christ. It's based upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this special relationship. And we don't emphasize that enough today. And the reason why the church doesn't emphasize that enough today is because very few churches are actually doing it. Now, I was born out in West Texas. And I don't know if it was a West Texas thing or if it was the particular denomination that we were going to at that point in time. But as I was a young child, all the way through kindergarten, we called one another in that church brothers and sisters. This is brother so-and-so. This is sister so-and-so. It was the tradition. And since I was a kid and I didn't go to another church, I can't tell you if everybody in West Texas did that or not. But then we moved to East Texas, and we started going to this church, and my dad looked at this woman, and he called her sister. It was his tradition. And she looked back, it wasn't very nice, it was kind of rude, but she looked back and she goes, I'm not your sister. And so dad stopped that. But it's not true. Is If we're together, if we're together in unity, if we're together in fellowship, if we're together in obedience, we truly are brothers and sisters in Christ as believers. And 
it's something that I think the church should emphasize. And COVID did a number of things on organizations, and the church wasn't immune to that. Of course, I know lots of people that go to lots of different churches, and I know people that are on church staffs at different churches. And unfortunately, there's this commonality, especially for big churches that ended up having their service on TV. And I actually had people tell me this. Well, you know, kind of nice sitting at home and watching church in your pajamas. It's kind of nice. And churches have yet to recover because people got used to staying at home. You can't have the richness of fellowship sitting at home in your pajamas. Can't happen. You have richness of fellowship when you're participating. This is why Paul called the church brothers. He didn't isolate anyone. He said, this is your commonality. And in addition, he said, I beseech you, brethren. Now, that's that's not really a modern word, is it? Beseech. If I looked at one of you and I said, I beseech you. It's kind of out of the modern day language. What does it mean? It means to exhort, it means to entreat, and it is emphatic. I beseech you, I exhort you. So now that we have the audience in the tone, in verse 12, I told you we're going to be here for a while. If I, Now that we have the audience in the tone, what is Paul calling us to do? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. As he calls us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, I think it's important to spend some time on that phrase before you get there, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. He goes, by the mercies of God, we're to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Thomas Erskine said this. He said, in the New Testament, religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. Religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. What does that mean? I've said this repeatedly in my ministry. When we get saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, He turns our have-tos into want-tos. Our have-tos into want-tos. And when you think about what Erskine says, that ethics is gratitude. And as we think about that we're called by the mercies of God, brethren, by the mercies of God, we're called to live an obedient, holy life by His mercies. What it means is is that our mind should be on Christ and as our mind is on the sacrifice and victory of Christ, I then live out a holy life because I want to. Why are legalists in such bad moods? It's because they fail all the time. Why is there happiness and joy and grace? 
is because we live our life out of gratitude because we're remembering what Christ has done for us. A couple of verses that I want to point out in the Old Testament, and it's regarding prophecy towards Israel as they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But it's also applicable for us as we have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because there's commonality in that. And if you look at Ezekiel in the 36th chapter, verse 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. We are obedient to His statutes because we've been given the Spirit of God. And we're obedient to Him. You see a similar theme in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. It says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. This is what we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we have that attitude of a thankful heart, we're able to present our bodies. Can't do it out of legalism. It's only through the Holy Spirit. As we keep our mind on Christ. It reminds me in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, this is a faithful saying. For if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. We are bound to the truth and belief of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ should be our center point. He should be our focus. And out of that, we lovingly present our bodies. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. That's what we had before Christ, right? In John 3 it says, The wrath of God abides on ungodly men. We had wrath before Christ. It says, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Our focus is on Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. Let me say that again. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge this. That if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Let's look at that again. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we come together in common 
in focusing on Jesus Christ. And as our focus is on Jesus Christ, we present our bodies, which means we police ourselves, right? Am I living for Christ? Is my focus on Christ? And as we move through that sanctification process, which means that we continually move towards holiness as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, we examine our life and say, here's one more thing I need to give up in gratitude for the Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood for me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just thank you that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that this church may always focus on Christ and on the grace and mercy and truth that we have. I pray, Lord, that we might love one another in Christ. And I pray that we might proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world about Christ and what Christ does for us. I pray if there's someone listening this morning who's never turned their life over to the saving power of Christ, that they might forsake sin, that they might forsake and repent of their old life and ask for forgiveness and turn to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.